1: Today I'm joined by Angela Nagel. Angela is a writer and academic and the author of the book Kill All Normies. Welcome Angela. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's really good to have you here because um, you are originally Irish. I mean, this isn't not your only <laughs> your your only descriptor. You're obviously someone who's who's been thinking about uh, the, the the cultural spaces that we uh, we both travel in for a long time you've you've been on on the, both sides of the debate um, and also you've been through the uh, academic grinder and the online grinder and every grinder that our our culture uh, likes to put people through uh, who try to put their head above the parapet a little bit but I want to ask you your first question about you know being being part of the of the Kind of a British Isles combination because I, I used to live in London for about five, almost six years, and I were, used to work in tech there. And I, it, it's it struck me, um, and with a lot of obviously Irish people, because you know a lot of Irish people live in London. But um, there's always a consensus in a way um, under under the the radar. But it was kind of something you've never questioned that you know the those territories, you know, Britain, Ireland they weren't, they didn't really belong to the people that, you know, were kind of the ancestral people there, you know, they weren't British or Irish, and I remember I went to this party once, and it was, you know, filled with kind of minor functionaries and bureaucrats and people who were working for the government, and at one point, maybe I was like two or three beers in, and I asked, I asked some of them, like, uh, do native people you know like the british or irish get to have any say in the destiny of their country and Mm. (laughs) you could hear a pin drop because that's that was a question that you know no one you weren't allowed to ask you know people (laughs) people like suddenly distance themselves from me um so i don't know i I could ask that question because i'm romanian and i'm i'm an immigrant and you know i'm well you know What was me because of Brexit and all that so (laughs) I get a pass but it was clear that that was just it's just not a concept I don't know how 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 do you feel about that do you
2: think that that's true yeah that's absolutely true I mean in the case of Britain um, I you know I guess the the elites you know have run an empire and really with the city of London it, it is still kind of an empire in a sense and they're so they're totally cosmopolitan and they you know they don't um they're probably even less tied to any territory or land now than they were then um and when they were going around the world to the different colonies and so on um and so their attitude is well like this is just the price of being a world dominating uh geopolitical force you know and um and they 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 just don't really care um and in the case of ireland um so basically what happened in ireland was ireland was very uh you know it struggled for nationhood um which which meant also independence from the british empire and that was a very long and bloody struggle and there were many you know people just think of 1916 because that was the successful one but there were many rebellions that were just crushed, you know? So there was actually enormous human sacrifice to win independence. And then like, you know, not long, not just a couple of decades after we got it, they had this great idea, building a national indigenous productive economy is too difficult. We're just going to become a tax haven. And initially it worked, they did this in the nineties. Initially it worked, the GDP went through the roof Uh, a lot of wealth flowed into the country Uh, it was referred to as the celtic tiger uh but obviously these things have a price and you know by 2008 when there was a huge bank bailout just like a, a massive transfer of wealth from from public to private to bail out these banks, Uh, the Irish economy never really recovered from that. Um, But they had to keep this model that they're stuck with this, this kind of like hyper globalized model. Um, And so, um, you know, once you do that, you kind of lose your national sovereignty to a great degree, you know, because the next thing you know, your, your economic policy is being set by Silicon Valley. Your uh public debates and social policies and attitudes and culture are being decided by NGOs. Um with with all of these companies, NGOs just flooded into Ireland. And there, I mean, I would I I would love if I've never seen a calculation of like how much they um outnumber people, sort of like um in terms of just the population, but um there's a lot let's just say like there's an unusually high amount of them and they're extremely aggressive in um inserting themselves into newspapers into television into public debates every kind policy making and so yeah i mean you know any debate about nationhood just is about the north you typically in ireland but the, the really meaningful thing is if the if the counties that still belong to Britain technically or or are in this kind of liminal state were ever to rejoin the Irish nation, what would be left of the nation to join, you know, because that is the attitude exactly like you said, that um, um, elites have just become so uh, distant from ordinary people um, that they really don't think that people should have a say or that they think their attitude is well, if, the native Irish or, or whatever, uh, want to have a say in things. Well, well, why should they have a say above, um, you know, somebody living in Greenland, (laughs) which is so obviously an absurd thing to think, right? Because all you're really saying is, I don't want to take any responsibility as the political class. I don't want to take any responsibility for, uh, anything here. And so actually, if you think that you should have more of a say, um than somebody in Greenland or wherever um you know then uh that's because you're a nativist and that's and we're going to you know um create this kind of make that into some kind of moral problem whereas like most people who aren't really that tuned into politics sort of thought well isn't that the deal isn't that how it works um I live in a country, I'm a citizen of the country, Uh, you know, we fought for independence, my ancestors have been here for thousands of years, doesn't doesn't that mean anything? And uh, yeah, so they're, they're trying to, I don't think that outside of the left you could really say that openly, right? Like you can't actually, you can't openly tell people that that's the case because it's too ridiculous you kind of have to have a phd to ta- have such a stupid thought but <laughs> uh but they so instead they just kind of imply it let the ngos enforce it and then they skirt around the issue
1: yeah H- how much of this do you think is is just essentially like this american imperial you know cultural hegemony seeping through these uh, these institutions through media through these NGOs, multinationals coming in and essentially injecting a flavor of this progressivism that's, you know, caught root in, in America, but that's not really native. Like, you know, you see a lot of, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and things like that, movements. I've seen them in Ireland, they're, they're quite, you know, there's something happening. And I think this it's, it's it's a strange and exotic thing to see in Ireland and in the UK as well, uh, because number one, the, the incidence of police violence is just, you know, it had... It's, it's just nothing compared to, to the US. And even there, you know, obviously, the, there's there's some questions to be asked about the statistics that are bandied around. Um, but I've seen protests in Romania. <laughs> so Black Lives Matter protests in Romania, and we I we can probably count the black people in this country on one hand. So it's, it's quite interesting, like, to me, it feels like this, this mimetic contagion. Um, that's, you know, very, very US centric. Um, and it's, it's you know it is it's very strange that it does take root in these countries
2: yeah i mean in the case of you know uh, um the the sort of uh, imperial or the that that influence that you're talking about um you know there have been some bits of investigative journalism all independent of course because none of the mainstream papers will do this um but uh that show that like um you know, Bank of America, it, you know, funds all kinds of wacky, um, woke projects in Ireland. You know, um, and nobody seems to ever think like this is strange, or we might want to. I mean, I think that in a strange way, like the 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 way the the the, the massive massive growth of the NGOs is related to kind of the way that. I would say global capitalism is functioning in general, which is sort of the um, just you know uh, I- instead of of the kind of model that we all thought was the norm since the time of Bismarck, which was like you have a a secular welfare state that you have have a right to as a citizen. It, that was supposed to get rid of like noblesse oblige, which had all kinds of moral strings attached, or you know, relief of the poor by the church or whatever. And now this has sort of turned into, you have this global kind of oligarchic class who who, 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 who won't pay taxes, they find ways to make it impossible to make them pay anything. And so then they just put that money into supposedly philanthropy. Um, and which of course also just means like a massive cultural project or social engineering project as well. And um, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of these kind of banks and and the, t- the usual people like uh, Bill Bill and Melinda Gates and um, all these kind of foundations and Ford and so on, and um, and you know they 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 do very aggressively insert themselves into changing the values you know of the country. I guess the problem is though that as with all of these things, when they're when a cultural revolution like achieves this really rapid change overnight and everyone's wondering, like, how did that happen? A lot of the time they're kind of tipping over something that wasn't very solid to begin with, you know? So it's usually when we believe something, but we don't know why anymore. Or, you know, we we a tradition has gone on through kind of um, simply nobody challenging it uh and we've forgotten kind of why it existed so i do think that things have gotten to a point now where you know you just have to relearn kind of the hard way why these things did matter you know at some point and why previous generations created institutions that they did and so on but yeah the, sorry i've I've slightly gone off on a tangent just on the direct question of the the influence of those. Um, that kind of uh, stuff in in Ireland. It's funny because I've seen these articles in in the New York Times and different places about how the French are tired of um, you know uh, like it, uh, American it, the American influence on their on their intellectual journals and stuff like that. But actually, what 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 they're talking about is happening everywhere. And in fact, the worst manifestations of it are not in intellectual journals. They're like. You know, regular people suddenly waking up and not recognizing their own culture because it's been transformed by, it's been beamed in from California. (laughs) Um, And they suddenly have to abide by these strange values that are just totally alien.
1: Yeah, and there are also high status values cuz it's not, you know, it, it kind of starts from the head even here like this is kind of what I noticed in, in, in Romania like, you know, I keep I keep bringing up this example but I was I found a friend of mine was talking about abortion rights in Alabama and you know, this is just like your yeah, regular yeah. Romanian girl, who's, you know, has absolutely no idea what's going on in local politics. I mean, who has, you know, it's, if it's not Trump, then who cares? <laughs> it's not Yeah, yeah. It's not a battle between good and evil
2: but that's so strange to imagine but yeah absolutely everyone does and i guess it's like um i mean on the one hand uh, with that political stuff it's kind of like the the theater of it is so all-consuming that to not know if you're in a kind of public conversation that takes place anywhere online to not know that stuff is just like um being out of the loop of what everyone else is talking about. But it's definitely, um, it definitely gets to a point where I I saw somebody saying, I think it might've been Aris Rousnos who writes for Unheard saying, um, you know, if, if you're having a conversation about American politics and you don't live in America, like you've already lost, <laughs> you've <laughs> already lost, like, you know, the, the, your, your, um, you know, something has gone sort of profoundly wrong with, you know, you're not thinking critically or you're not like, you're not, um, you've completely lost touch with reality, you know, in a strange way, you know, like, like a woman in Romania talking about abortion in Alabama, you know?
1: Yeah this is um, actually because um, I, I asked some some people to, to, to tell me what what I should ask you and I think a friend of mine in the asked a really good question about this uh, it's is how do you see the relationship between online and offline because this is essentially you know because you know Aris was saying that you know, you're off the rails if you if you you know if you live in hyper reality because this is mm. kind of these religious wars that we're in or this weird hyper real space mm-hmm. that we we inhabit um, but I see it shaping actual politics here, like a a lot of reality is downstream from, from reality. So are you, um, are you living more in reality, if you're kind of not taking advantage of the leverage of the online world? Uh, Or are you living, you know, is, you know, if you because now at, actually online is a place where things get decided, you know, that's kind yeah. of, kind of the, the beating pulse of, of politics of culture. So I don't know. It's to me, at least I don't know exactly where the line is. And, you know, am I am I just more real if I just, you know, go back to normie or is it more real yeah. to be battling these, these, you know, egregores online?
2: Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. And it it definitely has a lot. Like, I absolutely don't subscribe to the just log off attitude, you know, this or, or, and it really frustrates me as well when you point out some really worrying, like crazy trend that you just know is going to be mainstreamed starts off online you know some really disturbing social trend and people just say oh that's just five people on the internet what are you talking about you know it's not important and like this was an endless source of frustration for me on the political left for many years i would keep telling people really it's for about 10 years i would keep telling people you know this is going to be a real problem like you know if you can't have an organization without these you know like crazy women trying to call, call everyone a rapist or you can't have an organization without everybody walking on eggshells all the time like nobody is no normal person is going to ever want to join your organization simple things like that and they also said no 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 that's just a few people on the internet you're totally out of touch with reality you know and and now it's at a point where you can you can look at the craziest trend on the internet and you can write about an article, you can write an article saying this is going to happen. This is going to be law. And let let all the log offs say, "Oh, look at you! You've gone crazy. You're too too online. The internet has bent bent your mind." And you can just sit back smugly and just wait for it to become law because it will, <laughs> you know. Because actually, these trends really do become reality. And also, as a general rule of thumb, you can never like the craziest thing that you can think of will probably be less than what will actually happen you know like so that you never have to worry with the with the cultural left about sounding like a crazy person you know because you will always be vindicated (laughs) um uh but uh but then there's also another way in which it does make you removed from reality like for example um uh the, the the kind of i guess um Class or if you like factional interests that drive politics are often quite local and are often quite uninteresting and unglamorous and not just simply not um like emotional sugar for the kind of internet mind. So they get so they get ignored. So for example, uh I, uh you know, if you look at the Joe. Joe Biden win in America, one of the reasons why, it's so funny because for four years there was this endless conversation about, oh, we didn't see Donald Trump coming, um, and we, we got everything wrong and so on, but then they did it again, but this time by missing the kind of most um, bland, I guess, option, the most establishment bland option. But if you actually look into what made him successful, I mean, for example, he was one of the only candidates who completely ignored the entire activist class. Basically, he he wouldn't respond to he wouldn't even respond an email to many of the kind of open borders, uh, like um, and very kind of millennial identity politics type of activist groups. Uh, and afterwards it was even they were complaining about it, you know, and and they actually even thought like you know he doesn't have a chance because he's so bad at politics mm-hmm. he you know because he's not answering us and it's actually because um I guess most people were don't care about that stuff, and were tuned out of it, but what he did do is he got like a, a winning coalition, and he got um you know the good old boys podcast, this is a very incestuous yeah. podcasts. So. But <laughs> they they talk about this a lot. And I think they've really convinced me of it. But they talk about like selectorate theory and the way in which um he basically just got this winning coalition of people together who had uh, delivered something concrete to a particular group uh of people, and so they were trusted to do so. So in other words, they were people who if you belonged to a faction that were served by this person, you understood that like if this person or their guy gets into power, I am gonna get stuff. Yeah. My life is going to get better. You know, this so this is politics. I, this is how it typically works. <laughs> Except for, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in Ireland, for example, like politics is very local. And and in fact, um, I, I, I I hated that when I was younger, but I really appreciate it now because it is a check on on the, these forms of madness that we're talking about. And it, it, is a, it, it does mean that that the local politician is a servant, you know, uh, a public servant, and they do have to make sure that the water is running and stuff like that. They have uh, skin know. in the
1: game, you know, back in the day they had, you know, tar and feathers and all sorts of things set <laughs> yeah. to the side just in case he didn't perform. So yeah, you know, you need to have a little bit of skin in the game as a politician
2: yeah and you know i also used to not like how in ireland um it was very local but also the two main parties historically are fairly ideologically similar and they they they, um they split over the, the the treaty which came um in the in the war of independence period um and basically it was it was about the north and it was about the conditions of breaking away from the British Empire. But so there isn't actually a concrete difference between the two parties. Um, one slightly emerged in, along class lines over time, but I don't think that was exactly intended. It was just one of these things like, um, uh, that happened sort of in terms of who supported them, more farmers on one side, more working class on the other, that kind of thing. Um, but... Um, But I really appreciate that now that we don't really have... uh, Because it means that to some degree um, the lack of maybe a purely ideological competition in politics or very intense like right-left ideological competition means that Irish people can actually work together and not be at each other's throats all the time. And it also kind of means that you're not living in a fantasy where political philosophy governs the universe, you know? Um This is something that I used to really believe, and I realize now after it after way too many years of not realizing and wasting my mental energy that actually political philosophy is truly the most pointless thing to engage in imaginable because it really doesn 't decide anything you know I mean, you know you can stick any ideological label on a regime and it will look remarkably similar to one that develops around the same time, under the same material conditions that calls itself the opposite thing. So, you know, most of what we call socialism, even like say uh, actual socialist states in the world today, they would be considered fascism by the millennial left and its values, right? Because just for example, most of them not, you know, are very strict about border control, right, for example. (laughs) <laughs> that, and, and, like, to, to the Americanized left, that's, like, the only thing, actually, for them, I think, almost. It, it, it's, it's almost the only issue that they are really live or die about, you know. And so, you know, is, is Fidel Castro left-wing or was Fidel Castro left-wing? I mean, not by American standards, no. Um, was Stalin? Like, no. Um, uh, you know, like, if you think of the Khmer Rouge, like a kind of, you know or north korea or something like that i mean it's not like i don't i know that the dsa don't see themselves as being part of the like a tradition that includes north korea but you know at the same time like um i do think that there is this tendency maybe when you're younger to think that if you solve the puzzle of political ideology and political philosophy then you will eventually reach the kind of you you will come up with some brilliant kind of uh, way of solving these problems. But whereas in actual fact, there are pressures that are actually shaping things that are vast and that you probably won't even be able to see until, you know, 50 or a hundred years into the future. Big, you know, environmental, technological, all kinds of changes happening, uh, unintended consequences from things we did a hundred years ago and so on. Um, And that actually, you know, um the 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 ideology is really just the it's like an anthem or something right it's just the dressing that goes on afterwards in many cases
1: yes absolutely uh how how much of this is is um, a function of scale I i keep thinking okay you know the a lot of the, the the dysfunction and the places where things get really ideological are you know what is the best global regime you know trying to answer questions yeah like that. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and you know when you think at the at the level of like like you said you know ireland has local politics and things get solved in local politics because there is uh, there's leverage you know people mm. few people few rulers you know you you, you are accountable because we know where you live yeah. <laughs> but but if it's you know people in davos then you know i i really do not want anyone in davos to decide major questions of my life because there is no i have no link to them they don't know yeah they don't know the the specific you know either material or spiritual conditions of my life so that i feel like that's that's a that's a big difference and i feel like you know these the um multinationals multinational ngos the you know the, the cultural hegemony that we all live under kind of has spread this idea that okay we need to solve the world but there are very few global problems that can't be solved through cooperation between sovereign nations or sovereign groups, um, and very, very many local problems that cannot be solved at all by by global government.
2: Yes, and a great many things that can be made worse by <laughs> the that form. Yeah, it's funny, too, because... Um, There's also been this total redefinition on the political left of, um, of internationalism, you know, because internationalism, which presupposes nations, right, is like cooperation between sovereign nations. Um, And, but now it has, um, you know, it, it has, it's like the, the, Again, this is the ideological like trick that I was talking about. We think that we have this really radical political spectrum, but I mean, like the radical political left in the West, like its views on 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 well, first of all, it holds what it calls internationalism to be absolutely sacred, right? You, this is not something you can di- continue to be on the left and disagree with. But its definition of internationalism is exactly the same as the World Economic Forum or whoever. You know, it's it's not cooperation between sovereign nations because sovereign nations are bad. <laughs> because so, having a sovereign nation is nationalism. I mean, technically, you know, they're they're actually taking a very, very technical truth and just making it absurd. But um uh, yeah, they they their views, in other words, which they can use to purge um to, to purge kind of elites or in, influential groups of people. Uh, from anyone who disagrees, um, happen to uh, you know perfectly align with uh, the 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 needs and also the vision of that kind of international um, elite, you know, like or 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 uh, international capitalist class, if you like, the the capitalist class who are dominant on an international scale. Um, and so, I mean, is there any real ideological disagreement there? Like, they they have exactly the same vision. There shouldn't be really any sovereign nations, and um, and that's a good thing because you know, so if you have sovereign nations, you'll just have World War Three. That's like a very common, yeah. You know, you'll always have war. But again, like, um, um, you know, the the not only are things often made worse by that kind of so-called international cooperation, um, but uh, you know things that can be solved on a local level as you say like in in my local town in ireland where i grew up you know you can literally walk into the guy's office like if he hasn't done something if you want him to uh, fix your well or something you can just walk knock on the door anyone can just knock on the door you know and so having that kind of having that kind of power is 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 important um another thing that they they often say on on that podcast i mentioned is like um how whenever somebody's like portrayed as a corrupt local kind of guy who says like you know um like I, I i'll scratch your back and you scratch mine kind of thing like that that style of politics that that's always seen as being seedy and corrupt like you're in the mafia or something but it, it actually just means that it all it means is that you're actually doing things like that that's how it's meant to work it, you, you give people things and they give you their loyalty that they will vote for you or they will support your campaign or whatever it is um i, I do think that a certain degree of corruption is 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 good on, on that level yeah. or so-called corruption it's not it's not
1: yeah it's, it's essentially being accountable to each other uh, you know at a at a intimate level between yeah. people and people who solve their problems, because that's that that should be the purpose of good government to solve local problems or you know whatever scale you want to introduce there. Um, I, t- to me, it feels like a, a, a lot of this stems from um, the fact that market liberalism cannot interact with collectives. It only interacts with individuals mm. and it has created a world of individuals, because that's why we can't really talk about nations, because nations, you know, it's, it's already a coercive concept to, to clump pe- individuals together into these, you know, groups, you know, either by, you know, God, God forbid, civic nationalism or something terrible like that. But, you know, the, the idea that anyone is more than a, a, a you know, a universe of one is already kind of a a scary thing and it's, you know, it's already kind of conjures ideas of coercion. Um, But the thing is, you know, people exist in these networks, they exist in families and communities, ideally, because this is already breaking down quite significantly, you know, Mm. in, in groups of friends and people who are like minded about all sorts of things (laughs) so um i don't know what what do you think about kind of this 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 philosophical underpinning because it feels to me like the market really because it's so good at fulfilling individual desire it really does rip out the substructure from any sort of other other uh, association that people might have
2: yeah i mean i I guess like um america is maybe the test case because i remember a time when you know, it, it would be remarkable. Maybe it probably wouldn't anymore. But you know, like Americans say, "Where are you based?" Instead of "Where do you live?" Um, they, I don't, I can't, I don't have the figures to hand, but I know that, like, they, you know, they, they, they live in many different places throughout their lives. You know, each place for maybe five to ten years. Like, so you're actually never really putting down roots anywhere, um, and and stuff like that. And that's all. That's become the norm now for many, many countries as well. Um, And, um, you know, so if you move, if you have to move everywhere for work, um, you know, even something like um, uh, friendship, right? Like people used to be, remain friends with their childhood friends throughout their whole lives. You can even see it in novels and things like that. It was like a common thing, a a very, very deep friendship with, with a childhood friend. Well, like now people will actually abandon friendship for career, you know, and um, and for, for, you know, for moving for those reasons. And 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 I don't mean, you know, it's not their fault. It's just that's the nature of the the, the way the economy works. Um, you have to follow a certain path and each step might bring you to a different, a different, a completely different place. So you just have to keep moving. Um, and so but i don't know if it's i i i would say it's 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 kind of like those conditions that are imposed um that that, that it kind of has to have a it has to have a culture and a set of values that adapts to that otherwise people would reject it you know um and so uh if you think of the 90s the 90s is actually a good place to look for kind of propaganda and when a lot of this stuff was becoming normalized because in the nineties, um, and in fact, uh, when I was looking up stuff about Ireland, and now Ireland did change its, it, it moved to that, um, low corporation tax, um, ultra globalized economic policy in the nineties. But the nineties was that like, there was a moment in the nineties where, you know, um, Like Wired magazine was like claiming that they that that Silicon Valley had basically solved the problem of economic downturns and that there would never be an economic crisis again. Oh, and then this and that there would just be endless growth. I mean, they said this, it was actually on one of the famous covers that there would be just endless growth, no economic crises. Um, Everyone would get to work in the knowledge economy. Uh, which would be good for the environment uh, because you wouldn't be extracting things from the ground and stuff like that. And yeah, that was the entire vision. And um, that's like, that is the vision that's kind of starting to, to um, we're only starting to see the contradictions of it now. Um, and and that vision itself, that post-industrial vision goes back even further. Um, I often recommend to people this really interesting book um, <clears throat> Called Imaginary Futures, um, which is by Richard Barbrook, and he talks about the different, um, well, kind of like this this particular vision of the future that that keeps emerging, um, and it's it's more or less the post industrial society. Um, but he specifically talks about how the American government brought in these kind of Cold War Trotskyists, right? Who are very um, um, who had this like knowledge of Marxism and understood, I guess, the nature of like what held appeal in it. Um, and so they kind of created this like vision of historical materialism for America where the next stage would be the post-industrial society. That would be kind of like the final stage, like a, like an international um, post-industrial society where automation and various things had made hard labor a thing of the past and basically you know they, they it's sort of like the bug man right like <laughs> that idea of the urban bug man like the urban bug man is, is the ideal kind of um the ideal person like uh, the ideal citizen of, of such a kind of system um and uh so yeah, I think that that, that that like you cannot have the economy. you can't have that kind of economy where um, everything is intensely managed by HR., where you have to move every few years, um, and where um, you have to be able to move um, money around the world instantaneously and uh, you know th- there is this uh, globalization of the economy i think to to go with that you kind of have to have a culture that makes sense with it and during that period where those changes were really happening if you look back like a lot of the a lot of the propaganda i guess at the time was very much about like digital nomads and things like that you know and and or like if you think of like the 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 advertising for like a phone company or something like that it was all about you know just like roaming the world with nothing but a phone and a you know or or and just like a little tiny bag kind of thing that was like the vision so um yeah I think it's only now that that's actually starting to and I people definitely bought it like um I I I I did myself to a large degree, you know, and um, and I definitely like it's funny to now be talking about national sovereignty and things like that, because I definitely never had any nationalist like uh, uh, feelings whatsoever when I was younger. In fact, I really disliked it. Um, And uh, I saw it very much as the typical bug man does now as like just kind of like a strange superstition of some kind, you know? Um, and I thought, and I didn't like it because I thought that that's so, I'm talking about when I was much younger, right? But I, I thought like, that's so, um, That that's so narrow-minded and just, you know, wh- why would you have more interest in your own boring place than, than in some fascinating, culture elsewhere in the world you know that's that's genuinely the way i thought and i also thought you know um uh you know like traveling was like very important to me and uh and being able to be flexible and stuff like that yeah i mean and even even earlier than that you know my own parents um You know, my own parents like emigrated uh, when they were maybe, what would they've been, I guess, in their early twenties or something. And you know, my parents left like a a job for life um, that really, um, you know, anyone now, any young person now would kill for. And they didn't even, they didn't even go finish school, let alone go to college. Um, and yet they they dumped it all for just like traveling and 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 stuff like that. And I I've asked them many times why 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 did you do this? Because if we if you hadn't done that, we would have a house in in the middle of Dublin, which would probably be worth millions now. Um, and uh, they they can't give me a good answer other than adventure. They just wanted adventure, you know. So I mean that's um, I think that when when you talk about kind of these things i guess because it's so heated right and because each political team sort of wants they want what what people say to reflect well on their the own their the political outcome that they want but if you really talk to people about sort of why they um you know why they do things like you know leave an amazing job like i described uh to just go try, go around the world and, and end up with less than you started um or you know even like why would you live in a tiny little like a uh, pod in san francisco or something like that you know uh, you, you generally just find that like the person op generally doesn't really know <laughs> like they're not really able to give a good answer but they have a sense that this might lead to something interesting or fulfilling at some point like there really isn't a, a a a bigger plan a lot of the time yeah
1: i think that's 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 quite you know on, on the money i remember when i when i was kind of younger we were just you know everything that was emanating from the us or kind of western um media was kind of selling this you know self-making self idea of the individual that kind of crafts this romantic narrative of their life and then Mm. fills it fills it with adventure and takes the reins and um you know, if if there ever was a family depicted, maybe, you know, maybe there, there was this show called Seventh Heaven, which was like this Christian show and they had a, a nice family, but that was the last show and that was like the early 90s that I saw a, a good depiction of family and community life. The rest was mm. all like, you know, horrible disasters, you know, sleeping with the enemy, you know, men, you know, kicking your teeth out and, you know, all sorts of ideas about terrible divorces and never getting married and obviously sex in the city was the beacon of of female (laughs) empowerment
2: so yeah 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 and isn't it interesting though i was thinking that since the since the post-war period you know american popular culture has been so central to its soft power um but now you know I, i i think um I don't think anyone would really try to claim that you know the movies are as good as they once were or the music or anything else right there's really nothing being produced but then so i thought well maybe that's a sign you know that people are that this is running out of gas and people are falling out of love with this this whole idea which was always about individualism and i I, this is kind of a theme that uh, that uh, i've written about for years which is like the counterculture is always the most individualistic and it's actually always the kind of spear tip, it's the, like, you know, the, the the mainstream, like pop culture or whatever will follow, like where the counterculture goes first. But, um, but, you know, but then I thought, so I thought maybe this is just like one expression of American decline maybe is as the, as the dominant global power kind of like um, without competition in the world. But then I thought, no, because actually what's really happened is that hyper politicization uh, uh, and via the Internet is the thing that has replaced that. Right. So it's not like rock and roll anymore. It's people in Belfast. Doing a Black Lives Matter protest with this only white people, and where 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 they had an ethnic conflict, like a brutal ethnic conflict between two groups of white people, for decades, you know, um, just like totally crazy stuff. But that that's what it is. And actually, you could even argue it's more um, aggressive and successful because uh, because while there you know there were mcdonalds everywhere in the world and so on but i i think it was actually a less successful form of uh of of american soft power than this thing um which has completely transformed the national political conversation of every country that it's touched it's that's what i said when i see those articles about france i mean i guess like a certain type of American intellectual loves the idea of French, of everything French, you know, and imagines like in Paris, like everyone there must be smart <laughs> and that, you know, they have like a special level of sophistication or whatever. But actually, like the, there's nothing unique about it. The, the, everything that's happening in their universities is happening in Irish universities. It's happening in probably Romanian ones. Um, and yeah, and 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 probably I, I, I probably well outside of Europe as well. Um, so that's kind of a horrifying thought. Uh, I I got I got a little bit excited about the idea that you know like this kind of American global cultural hegemony would break down, and maybe maybe countries would like rediscover these kind of unique things about them. But no, I actually think that this is it instead. It's not, instead of like James Dean or something like that, it's just going to be crazy political stuff.
1: Yeah, I feel like there there, there might be something to be said about this being waves. So, you know, the, the first wave was you know the the watching dallas then you know watching buffy the vampire slayer you know kind of getting into the mindset of this type of individualism american individualism you know kind of market social liberalism And then, you know, once you've been primed, once you have that mindset, you're essentially set up as a a group conflict with people who don't have that mindset. Because essentially, this is to me, this is what it feels like that these two factions are on the internet as well as offline. There's people who have bought into this. Flavor of individualism and are seeing it to its logical conclusion, which is kind of the Mm -hmm. the woke demographic. And there are people who are either you know the 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 uh, somewhere people that are kind of tied to the to their community that see value in all of this stuff that you know um, maybe are a bit retrograde, maybe just just don't (laughs) want to don't want to go go ahead, or maybe they see the folly of you know like me, they've seen you know where this leads, and maybe they want to retrace their steps a little bit. Um, And it feels like this is kind of a that's kind of the spiritual conflict uh it wouldn't have worked without setting the stage first with with all of this cultural import you know you would Mm -hmm. i wouldn't know what it is to embody the the spirit of sex in the city if i wasn't just like marinating in it for 10 years yeah Um, yeah so um i don't think you would have had the religious conflict without you know having the the 20 years of uh, mtv before
2: yeah that's true and and you know it's interesting when you said about kind of retracing your steps like i Sometimes I think that you know the point at which this will get interesting is when there are more people who are like us I mean based on what you're describing, I think we're we're sort of similar in that sense um so in other words like if if we use the the so, uh, the somewhere isn't anywhere is uh, just as a a way to easily categorize this you know if you are a somewhere uh I do, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into making that the case. But I do think that, uh, you know, um, I do think there's something to kind of that, like, I think it was Jonathan Haidt's argument that there are these sort of temperaments, like political temperaments, you know, and some people are, um, let's say, like familiarity and other people like constant change, that kind of thing. I think that, you know, there are some people who just want to live in their hometown, you know, and they they want to stay there, and they like things that are familiar, and they they want to be close to their family, and they want to do all that stuff. I think that when when it kind of gets starts to get interesting is when you see a faction of the people who um, should have been in the kind of in a kind of more global cosmopolitan class actually rejecting it you know who who maybe by nature are well suited to it but who have actually realized the the problems that come from it I, because in a way that is the that is the faction of the elite peeling away that that all kind of you know people looking to change a society are looking out for right as the marker of when things really start to move into gear um, like in the sense that I think there are going to be a lot more people like us who are sort of like would-be elites, if you like, um, people who are trained to be in an elite. Um, so in my case, for example, you know, I went through academia. And when I, if you had asked me in my early 20s, I would have thought, I'm going to be an academic. I'll devote myself to a life of ideas and I'll travel the world. <laughs> that would have been like a completely idealistic vision of what it was going to be. But then you realize, okay, sorry, we wrecked all the cities. So that's not going to happen. You can't, <laughs> unless you live in a gated community or something like you're actually going to be living in a violent and scary place. Um, and also we wreck the institutions. Academia, you can't have, if, if you're interested in ideas, academia is the last place you should go um, because you have no freedom of thought whatsoever. Uh, you're teaching students who could snitch on you at any moment. Um, you know, you 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 you've got a uh, hundred uh, elite aspirants like clawing at your heels, trying <laughs> trying to take you down so they can take your job or whatever. Like it's not, you know. So so the so in other words, like the the vision that was sold, the sort of uh, yeah, that cosmopolitan kind of like elite vision that I bought into when I was younger has actually fallen apart, you know it 's not workable anymore I mean every day i see uh I see more and more like news from New York that there's just like the violence is like skyrocketing you know so you have all these these bug people who went to go and live and live there so that they could socialize with other people i guess in their in the media world or in the arts or whatever it might be and then you realize that actually, I mean, I went there, you know, and again, like if you come from a smaller place, you kind of think this is going to be a place where there'll be lots of interesting people and lots of like-minded people and stuff like that. And then like, I, I often say, um, uh, I I think I might've been saying it to Amy, um, uh, that Amy Teresa does the what's left podcast that like, Uh, my own friends at home in my home like in in Dublin have much are much more interesting and much more kind of intellectually developed than the average like like Brooklyn like elite you know so the so anyway what I'm saying is basically just that like this that vision is falling apart it's not if you were if if you believed in what it was supposed to offer which was very attractive as an ideal like that itself has fallen apart it can't even it can't deliver on those things anymore you know
1: yeah absolutely and i feel like you know the the millennial generation was the one that was sold this bill of goods probably at, at maximum intensity it kind of hit a hit a peak with uh with my generation at least obviously maybe maybe this is just my my point of view being in the middle of it but uh you're we're kind of nearing a point where a lot of promises have been unfulfilled and this is not just about student loans not about um you know just not being able to make money Get on the property ladder all this this host of of problems that are quite endemic in in, in this generation, but it's also just not being able to procreate, which is kind of this the scariest part of me and i've I've been looking at this from multiple angles, and uh you know the demographic collapse seems to me you know pretty much as as good an existential risk as, as we see for the peoples of Europe you know i'm i'm parochial here but i really do care about this this uh, this continent and, and its people um, so I, I don't know what what what's your take i feel like you would would maybe agree with me that there's something in the way we've structured the market that the global market has some forces that are 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 kind of underneath this and and kind of stripping apart multiple layers of things that would would help people typically be able to have children but now they can't or they won't maybe
2: yeah yeah i mean everyone's now reading um that stuff about plastics and the 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 declining sperm count and stuff like that and I think that's good i mean that, all that stuff I'm sure there are many other things of that nature too that are you know that you could that 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 could be regulated and changed that are um, you know that are actually environmental or physical like that um but I also think that I think that, like, this is very vague and sort of impossible to prove, but <laughs> I think that uh, there is almost something like a spiritual element to it as well. Like, if you think about, for example, like Native American, like, birth rates plummeted, right? Uh, they're very low. Now, you could say, well, they don't, you know, they don't live in a way that's similar to a, to a, like a, a, like a, like a, a, a highly strong career woman in London or something, right? And yet the, that is similar. And I think it has to do with a group of people feeling that they don't have a future or in another way that basically things have stopped making sense. So like Mary Harrington talks about this. I heard her talking about it last night and she's really interesting on it, which is that, you know, there used to be stages of life and every pretty much every culture like has some conception of this. There are different stages of life, and that uh, you get, you know, as you. So, for example, we used to we used to understand that you you get more maybe respect as you get older. Uh, your your opinion counts for a little more. You people listen to you. They feel that you have wisdom, and you you get that kind of respect. Um, but uh, but you don't have youth anymore, right? When you have youth, when you have all the benefits of youth, you don't have freedom. And there was wisdom in that because adults understood that you have to kind of save young people from themselves in some way uh, and to protect them and so on. And, you know, yeah, there, there was this kind of sense that you just pass, in the case of women, certainly like the, these kind of three stages, um, and um so like youth motherhood and and old age um so even like in my case like i remember you know um my older female relatives like all had that you know um and they they were very you know they 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 were very much like treated very respectfully and very well as they got older, you know, and everyone visited them and everyone loved them and (laughs) like all, you know, they, they, they were given this like special place kind of in, in the whole ecosystem of of the family and the neighborhood and the uh, whatever. Um, And so the thing is like, because we've basically just slashed a big line across that all of those, that all of those kind of, Parts of the social world that work together and that made sense with each other now no longer do. So, for example, I read your piece about this—the um, the the cold question of people not having children—and one of the things I think you mentioned it at the end that really uh, occurred to me is like, um, you know, the sort of carrot and stick with everything, right? People make their decisions on the basis of negative and positive reasons and i think in the case of 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 children people it's almost like there is an absence of positive reasons like obviously there's you know people say well isn't having children like a, a good enough reason in and of itself but we know that people really only bond with children and get filled with the with the all of those feelings once the baby is born uh, women experience some of it a bit earlier obviously but you know what i mean so you don't feel the love of a child that doesn't exist yet beforehand. So it doesn't, it's sort of meant to happen by accident, right? And then you love them when they're born. Um, You're not meant to be planning it out like the whole time. But so um, I think that, you know, we, there is an absence of a positive reason. So So in other words, if you say to like a 20 year old female, if somebody says to her, like, you should be having children or something, right? Well, and she has to weigh up her two options um, it, you know it's not just in her imagination that that going without them will bring a lot of benefits to her life um you know, and even like because the the this very high competition world like of of professional class stuff is all men and women mixed in together I think there's something that people don't really talk about very often which is that if you um like if you are a single female the very fact that you are a single female doesn't mean that you're necessarily going around flirting with everyone but the very fact that you're a single female will open doors to you that will probably be closed to you if you have to you know if you're, you're like a mother of three or something um and so uh So, yeah, I do think that people don't have they don't have a positive vision of the future, which is what like really having children is all about. And in in the grand sense, but they also don't have a positive vision of the immediate future in that I think they think, well, if I have a child, all of these doors are going to close to me. All of my friends who are out having fun and you know, self-actualizing or whatever (laughs) uh, are going to be doing those things while I'm going to be completely socially isolated because the whole culture is built to socially isolate me now, right? Um, And so all of these doors will close. A lot of things will get worse. And um, I think I mentioned it to you before, but a friend of mine said one time, uh, a friend of mine who was kind of the first in our whole friend group back home to have uh, kids, she said to me years later that when she had her first kid, she was totally socially isolated and we just left her out of everything. And I felt terrible because it never even occurred to me. I just assumed she must be so busy. She can't come to anything, but no, it's because like you're doing things that children can't be at. Um, so you've got like a a drop in opportunities, a drop in social status, uh, less uh, opportunities to socialize, um, and also on top of that, because we have this horrible culture, and this is another part of the post-war American kind of disease, um, which is that we have a culture that is, in which children are kind of encouraged to be hostile to their parents, you know? Um, and so you don't even, if you have a child now, like you don't have any expectation that you will be, that that you you, you put in all this effort into this thing, it, it, in, into building this kind of new like social unit like of the family and that you know when you are old you will you know they'll be able to take care of you basically you take care of them and then they take care of you none of all of that's gone and so basically just like the entire uh the the entire complicated social web that made the whole thing make sense is has been destroyed um and so I think that 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 is so complicated that it's not even something that we can really register in a rational way or or even fully comprehend we just know intuitively that that something is not there you know
1: yeah for sure and i i feel like a a lot of this kind of boils down to that moment where because of all of this innovation because of all of this you know the kind of techno capital trying to fulfill every need and desire. We really didn't need each other anymore. Like, you know, back in the day in in the ancestral village, you couldn't really, uh, you know, (laughs) go go out and, and have, you know, have a, a, I don't know, room spring uh, trip and and do whatever you wanted and then, you know, maybe come back or maybe don't come back uh, because you were extremely dependent on your family, um, both for social purposes, for, you know, sustenance, for shelter, for everything, uh, to represent you politically in all sorts of ways and there were obviously massive downsides to this because you know there are just all sorts of primitive uh, customs tied to it you know some good some bad um uh, but we needed each other and now we don't need each other and it's quite obviously we don't need each other because um you know parents and the relationship between children and parents is seen as some form of uh, kind of coercive oppressive uh you know organization where you kind of raise the child but you also don't want to curtail its freedom because you're essentially incubating an individual which is pretty hard Mm. thing to do uh, (laughs) considering how how free they're supposed to be yeah Um, yeah it's um it's to me you know tying back those knots if you don't need them is Mm. i think the, the the tough part of this you know like will people want to do it? Because like, for example, I've, you know, um, you know, I've had all sorts of fights with my mom growing up and, you know, I, I went to see like, uh, you know, therapists obviously oversharing here and stuff, but usually the, the, the main gist of it was like, you don't need this relationship. The therapist told me, you know, this is an optional relationship. Wow. If this is, if this is not serving you, it's not, it's not sparking joy. You can yeah, yeah. detach. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, you know, um, uh, cool <laughs> awesome i don't know i'll i'll think about it man so <laughs> yeah no i
2: i'm sure if you go back and look at like advice columns and things like that like or or just like wherever else i can't think of them out like you know advice would be like in in like women's magazines and stuff like that um yeah i do remember seeing all kinds of things that's just that were bizarre actually you know and that really were just like yeah your your dad your old dad is cramping your style <laughs> just get rid of him
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh, i don't know it's it seems to be a pattern and i mean like you said there's very little upside to the potential parent except for maybe some i don't know spiritual commitment to the act of of you know, mm. having children itself but even that's <laughs> that's hard to conjure if you don't really know what it involves because like even even myself I haven't really spent that much time with children or in in groups we, we were quite a modern family <laughs> in, in the western sense and you know we didn't really have like a lot of you know social ties or a lot of extended family I'm I'm the single child of single children which is quite rare here in Romania but it, it happens so yeah. a very very uh, small family and you know you, you just don't understand what a large family is like or what you know caring for other kids was like and you kind of you know you can't be attracted to something that you've never even experienced
2: Mm. yeah that's true I, I I have no excuse though because I I grew up around a huge family a very very large rural extended family but um but but I mean, look at the scale, right? It went from 12 to two to zero in, you know, in three generations. Um, and uh, but I do think, yeah, that's what it is. I I, I also think that, you know, um, the explanations for it are very interesting, and I'm sure there will be many more to come now that I think it is part of the mainstream political discussion, you know, that people are like, even with that New York Times article about the... Um, the 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 bpa and all that stuff um i think that people will be trying to put forward theories as to why uh people are not having children there will be some of them will be like chemical some will be sociological and so on but in terms of very practical things one of the things i suggested and we talked about this briefly uh before um is that uh is that you can actually have a lot more social events that are more family friendly? You know, um, that's something that anyone can do, really. Like, um, and and it's very, you know, you don't need to change the world kind of in order to get there. You can just do, you can do it immediately, um, and it means that um, it, it means that you know, just like families are reintegrated into public life in a way.
1: Yeah. I think that's that's probably the, the the closest step that people can take. And yeah, yeah, because I, to be honest, looking at the immensity of of uh, coordination problems that global politics throws up, I mean, the only solution yeah. I have is like maybe start a start a garden in your backyard, have a few kids, be nice to your neighbors. You know, this is this is ground zero. If we all do it, yeah,
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and work. I also think that see, I would have been horrified by this idea in the past because I would have thought, well, that's just giving up. You know, you're just giving up on the political fight or whatever. But uh, what I think is that I think that all of us have lost our sort of political innocence. Well, anyone who's really paying attention has kind of lost their political naivety over the last few years, because I think that we are all just like behaving like, you know, like teenagers or something where we just thought I will come up with the, the most um perfect political philosophy and then if when everyone sees how good it is (laughs) the, the world will change and like it's it's such a crazy childish way of seeing the world you know um but also yeah like I think the thing that lots of people have realized is that yeah politics is really hard because it involves getting to influence the whole fate of the nation or world you know like you can't just you can't just stroll in and like suddenly start influencing politics. Like it's cutthroat sometimes literally because, because it's everyone vying for power, you know, Um, and they've made it so that you can't, (laughs) they've made it so that precisely so that, you know, and in a way that's a good thing, right? Because that means that any lunatic can't just go in and start changing things. Um, They've made it extremely difficult to change and, Uh, they've thought of every way of thwarting whatever it is you want to do Um, and yeah uh, I think that that kind of loss of like of political innocence is uh, something that maybe a generation defining thing actually right like people will people may retreat a little bit to some extent like um, into that sort of sort of localism you know it's it's also exhausting
1: um just mentally exhausting if you want to throw yourself in the midst of it it's you know it's, it's a, yeah it's a constant you know battery on your mind cause, uh, and nothing really gets done because you're essentially you know you're you're logically moving through all the, the the philosophies you know for all the political philosophies, and then what you're actually confronted with in the political arena is the is the you know, bare naked face of power, and that is it. Mm. <laughs> There's, you know, you can you can you can throw your books away, lady, because you know we have no yes. place for them here. Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. That's exactly right. That's very much the realization I've come to more more recently, and also, you know, yeah, it does weigh on you too much. Like, um, you know, uh, I I was saying to friends of mine that that I. <laughs> that I had been horrified when my mother said to me, um, I hope you're not saying anything. <laughs> my mother said to me, I hope you're not saying anything controversial. <laughs> right?" That's like her her advice. Just don't say anything controversial. And I was like, well, I write about politics. So what am I supposed to write about? Um, and anyway, a friend of mine said to me, actually, she's totally right. Because, you know, in, in truth, like, you know, to what extent are you like you know you you feel like because you're getting all this resistance that you that you must be saying something profound or you must be you you must have hit on some really important like sore spot or or you know th- this is all very important but yeah i'm not sure really how how important it is and also i'm not sure how much like just the raw exercise of power really as you say cares about any of these things you know like they'll just put any label on it they want you know um it was even interesting to see just as an example of the uh uh, of how these things are exercised um so in the um in the u.s elections when uh when somebody came up with oh yeah the tara flynn or something like that this woman who had a sexual allegation against joe biden a t- Tara Reid I think was Tara Reid that's right mm-hmm. yeah yeah Tara <laughs> Reid and so the Bernie people thought like oh we've struck gold we have this this is going to ruin him now because we know of course after years and years of Me Too's
1: <laughs> we know
2: that if you get Me too that's it you're over but then then they tried it and it just didn't work <laughs> um, I mean aside from the fact that it frankly s- sounded bogus and I'm sure they knew that but they were just doing it anyway out of out of they they thought political cleverness yeah. But it's like no, no. You can't meet to someone who we want to have in power. <laughs> that's not. That's not how that this works, you know. Um, you can be me to some totally insignificant journalist, um, who maybe said something that you know, um, powerful people don't like or something like that, and who isn't that important anyway. But no, they can just turn off the tap, like if they at any point if they want to, because it is just it is just power um it's it's factions and it's resource competition and it's um social classes but i would say kind of they're a lot more subdivided than i would have thought in the past um and basically yeah it's just it's a class competition it's a factional competition for wealth resources and power and there's nothing everything else is sort of just like um Anything else that you engage in, you are in danger of self-delusion. You know, yeah, and the self-destruction sometimes.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, because um, it, it does feel to me. But maybe this is also my my echo chamber that there are power centers kind of co- kind of coagulating in different places. Like, because you know, because the narrative is so fractured, um, power seems to be fractured. Obviously, maybe it's just the uh, the external. I don't know, phenomena of power, maybe power is quite centralized. But the, the, the phenomena that you see is that, okay, there are certain factions forming. I don't know if because I know you're not very online anymore, or maybe you are, <laughs> but you're not in, in a very visible way. You're not online anymore. Uh, do you see anything kind of um, on the horizon in, in the online space or some, some changes that are coming up? I think you've dropped off a little bit.
2: Oh, sorry. Um, changes. <laughs> changes of what kind exactly? Um,
1: in terms of groupings or factions or uh, you know clusters of potential power or potential even just narrative power, because uh, that seems to be how we, we get real power. <laughs> you, you form a, a solid narrative and then you know wait wait ten years and then you actually see it manifest in the world
2: yeah i don't know i mean i do i do see a lot more you know i actually think that if there is a sort of um if the they decide to sort of pull the plug on the really extreme woke like woke imperialism or what have you i actually think it could come as this kind of thermidor like within the center left like. I could see, for example, I mean, look at how um when all the um the 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 Black Lives Matter riots and stuff were going on, like obvious anyone who said anything critical about them would be instantly like unpersoned. But then the elections happen. Joe Biden wins. And his people say, actually, we don't like that slogan. We we, we don't like this. And we don't like that. We, we want to anti to go home. Uh, we don't like uh, abolish the police, uh, you know, so I think like, um, and, and they totally survive that, right? Like, uh, everyone just had to accept, well, they're in power. And this is what they say. So I, I could actually see, I also think an interesting way of, I sometimes watch Bill Maher's show, his like TV show. And I think it's a really good way. It's a good way of measuring kind of the temperature in those circles. Those very, these are like, you know, people who are right in the middle of certainly cultural power. um, But they're very boomerish. Like they're kind of boomer liberals in their political views. They don't really like the socialist left at all. And they just basically want some they, they, they want uh they want to go back to just being for legalizing weed and being against you know uh religion or something like that like that's that's kind of all they care about but but at the same time, like they are kind of back in power now, those type of liberals, and they did you know they got rid of all of their enemies to the right and left, you know, and, and they actually exercised power in a very shrewd way. And, you know, even if you go back and think of like, um, I was thinking recently of Barack Obama mentioning that he was reading Patrick Deneen's, um How Liberalism Failed. or uh, yeah, Gave it a good yeah. view too. Yeah, and that was years ago. So there's a funny way in which like um, the ideological kind of malleability or something of that type of liberal centrist politics sometimes can make it actually much more strong and much more able to survive change and it also means that they can change their minds on something and they don't even they'll never even explain why like something that they decided was evil and wrong you know last year they can change their mind on that and and just survive it and everyone just has to kind of accept that this is well these are the people in power and they've decided this now so <coughs> kids in see, for example uh, was yes exactly exactly Exa- yes exactly i mean that that's you know a perfect example but also i could see them i don't think that it's a good look for america to be this insane looking when there is now a, a shift in power with China, with the rise of China. Like, <clears throat> I wouldn't want to, um, I mean, I don't think China is just about to overtake the US, right? I think they have, I think the US has more power. It's got more um, power than, than that. I mean, the fact that they have military bases all over the world, they have like a, a lot of financial power and stuff like that. Um, but I, I, I could see, I could see a kind of strange, like right wing uh, turn within the liberal center in a strange way, and and it wouldn't be because they don't care about ideology. They they would just be making a tactical decision that we want America to rule the world. We want America to keep its dominance uh, as the sole uh, superpower of the world, and this. Um, crazy ideology which we came up with in part as a soft a a kind of soft power is no longer working in our benefit and they could actually pull the plug on it that could happen i could actually see that i see little signs of it now but it's too kind of soon to tell if if those are just individuals um yeah the eternal
1: battle between you know hanging on to power and you know drinking drinking your own kool-aid <laughs> which is gonna be i don't know the 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 idea that you know america doesn't really deserve to be you know hegemonic in a way it is but it shouldn't shouldn't be because that's you know colonial yeah it seems to seems that this this thinking's been really i don't know it's 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 seeps through quite a lot at least in the, in the elite circles i don't think there's a coherent defense of why the us should be
2: a global power in america no no i mean and because especially because in the past the the hangover from the cold war was always that um freedom right like this is a uniquely free place you have freedom of speech and gun rights and all kinds of things like that but of course nobody really believes in that now because in order to get <clears throat> in order to get you know the 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 kind of um the 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 rightful like uh um people steering the imperial ship or whatever back into power and didn't get all these crazy people that trump brought in to politics out um they had to actually destroy many of the they had to destroy a lot of the kind of mystique around their own power you know, so like they had to just exercise brute power. They had to send the FBI in to break into people's homes and arrest people. They had to get rid of free speech, you know, and even the pretense of it, you know. So all that stuff is gone now, which is not, it was just not a small thing. I mean, as I say, it's not, I don't think it's how power really works ultimately anyway. But it was the thing that made, I guess... America able to justify its right to rule the world you know
1: yeah and and speaking of of overreach um i mean this is this has been quite quite the year last year especially this year as well um <laughs> some some quite major overreach all around the world in terms of of how power acts um and you know, obviously, I'm speaking about about COVID and lockdowns and the new normal and, you know, two weeks to, to save the NHS or whatever, stop the spread, flatten the curve. Um, yeah. and, and now we're we're in in this and it seems like the new normal doesn't really refer to the virus. It refers to the level of government overreach we are willing to put up with. Um, Mm. And it seems like we are willing to put up with it because now, for example, here in in my hometown, um, we have completely delegated uh, our the the, the nature, the structure of our life to an algorithm. So everything is pegged to case incidents, not fatalities, which I think would be a more robust measure, but still nuts, still completely crazy. Uh, but to case incidents. So if there's more than four cases, you get a, I don't know, 8 p.m. curfew, you need to wear the mask, you need to shut down the restaurants. So businesses open and close depending on what statistics show up uh, the week before. And that's, that's mm. it. No people involved, you know, that is that is how, that is the mechanism of power now. And everyone's just like, oh, you know, case incidents is above, above four, it's below seven, it's fine. And, uh, you know, the the, um, the level of, just absolute neutrality that people, you know, have already learned to accept this type of stuff as 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 a new normal is completely terrifying to me.
2: Mm. Yeah, I know. It, it. You always hear there's a certain type of like uh like a libertarian-minded person who lives in the countryside and owns guns and things like that. Um, who says like, you know, oh, if the government ever did this, I'd stand up for myself and I wouldn't take that. I'd go out fighting. (laughs) And actually, you know, now we know, like if the government actually does make you do really, really crazy stuff, like you probably will just go along with it actually. Um, And it's so interesting because, you know, I'm not like an anti, I I haven't resisted this in in a huge way. My attitude is sort of like, these are the people in power. They have already made these decisions. You know, just go along with it for a while. And uh, <laughs> uh, I know it's like famous last words before <laughs> <laughs> you lose all your rights. But uh, that that was kind of my attitude, honestly. Like I'm used to, you know, just like having a, uh, I, I, I guess I sort of just accepted that, well, look, if people, if it is going to cause these deaths, then, maybe this is just something we have to do for a certain period of time and then things will reopen and and maybe they will like i i I don't know i know there are some people saying like we've given up these fundamental rights and now we'll never get them back and so on um they could be proven right i really don't know but um but yeah I definitely did show i guess it showed kind of almost like we got the first bit of this with with the smoking ban uh, I remember when the smoking ban came into Ireland, everyone said, oh, this is never going to work. Because, again, all those country people who live in the country, they don't they don't um, they have their own laws out there. You know, the old man who goes to the little bar in the in the small town, he's not going to put out his cigarette. And actually, everyone did. Everyone did exactly what they were told instantly at one minute past midnight on whatever the day it was. Um <clears throat> Uh, and um uh and and what so what is the it's sort of like i think the only two really interesting things that were said about the whole covid thing were immediately after you know we all realized it was happening there was that like little over and back between like um agamben and zizek right zizek was sort of essentially saying this is like our self-sacrifice, our collective self-sacrifice, and we're going to relearn like what it means to make a sacrifice for the collective good. And Agamben was saying, actually, we're, we're going to, we have made this kind of, um, like technocratic, uh, vision, uh, you know so important that we will give up everything that matters in life you know yeah. so i mean it, like so it's but it's a hard one to argue right because like so if they said from now on everyone has to be three feet apart in all circumstances except really special ones um and you know and and if if we don't do that this many people will die well then you have to make the argument of why that many people why not why being able to be just a few inches away from somebody is so important that this number of people it's worth this number of people dying like it's sort of a hard a moral argument the, the argument thing is to make we and-
1: we make these you know we, we make these implicitly these moral cal- calculus as calculi <laughs> uh every day you know driving is terrible you know yeah. keep, keeping alcohol legal even even worse you know all, all of these things um you know they they exist and they're embedded they're just not discussed um, you know, death, death stalks the land. Whatever you do, and to me, I, I probably side with Agamben here because, you know, the 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 denial of death that's been rampant mm. in this, you know, idea, and and the way it kind of escalated from the beginning, it was okay, you know, stop the spread. Let's see if we can prepare the hospitals for the inevitable influx of people. And that was that was the framing. Okay, we need to we need to pre- prepare to help these people when they get sick. To mm. Oh, we have cases. Oh, there's been one case in Victoria, Australia. So we're shutting down the country. Uh, mm. you know, th- this is a, a huge escalation, and it it happened, you know, very slippery slope style, slippity slip. We're we're in this in this situation, and it's uh, you know, th- this this level, I'm definitely not comfortable with because you know, yeah, you, you're not going to be able to to exercise the Grim Reaper if you, I don't know, yes, <laughs> that, that's just not
2: going to happen. Uh, yeah, but it, it, that is kind of almost like you know that that it, it's it has um it has in an interesting way kind of like on un, unmasked <clears throat> like you sometimes think you know what okay so we we got rid of all of these ancient institutions we got rid of um, that gave meaning to that sort of ordered society in some way and gave meaning to our lives and what did we re- we replace it with and people typically say consumerism liberalism and so on. But I actually think it might be this, you know, just like, because the idea is like the reason all those institutions existed, like religion or whatever, um, were that they served this. Well, one of the reasons is that they did serve this kind of social function of regulating, like encouraging positive behaviors, and discouraging socially negative behaviors and things like that. And I think like the vision that that the the kind of post war technocratic vision is one where we don't have to have our individual desires oppressed by these institutions any longer, and we will do what they used to do better but through purely rational technocratic means so we will we will find every thing that is wrong with society and we'll we will fix it through through expertise we'll get we'll employ you know, millions of sociologists, if need be, all over the place, and we will get, we will fix every single human problem there is, so that we'll never have the need for these uh, superstitious uh, and other institutions that, um, that that oppress our, like, individual freedoms and desires, and so forth, like, and that is a kind of utopian vision, isn't it, like, I mean, it, it sounds horrible the way I'm, I'm saying it, but, yeah, it's a you transhumanist know, it, ideal. It's
1: yes quite, quite common. It's the idea that you know you the the constraints of not only your uh, social life but the constraints of your body can be left behind. You know, you you can transcend to to a greater plane uh, if you just use enough technology.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'm sure many of the people who designed this idea, you know probably thought yeah it would be a good thing if people didn't die of horrible plagues and you know um things like that i can see why they they thought that this would be utopian you know but i guess there's no breaks on it so it gets to a point where you know it, it becomes you you would have to just live in a bubble or you know you would have to have a totally um you'd have to destroy everything that is of value just to kind of get the chart looking the way you want it to you know yeah
1: and there's there there's some i mean now i'm going to get really esoteric but there, there's some logic to to how nature works um death as well you know some might argue even infant mortality the way it used to be uh that you know is is grim it's terrible it's something you don't really want to be confronted with but if you let if you change these patterns at scale things might you know, crash further down the line. Like, just imagine, you know, now we have an inverse pyramid of people that we will need to be taking care of. Uh, Obviously we don't want any of them to die. I I would love them to to live infinitely, but there are second order, third order consequences of us, you know, (laughs) engaging in the denial of death too much um, Mm. and, you know, and maybe keeping people alive, Uh, for you know 120 years because we we can do that but maybe we can't do that with them being healthy we can only do that with them being quite sick and there's there's all sorts of implications here and i know that you know the, the the kind of libertarian transhumanist response to this would be we just need more tech we need to make them healthier at 120 and you know we need to keep them being productive or something they I'm sure there's some tech utopian idea that you can slap onto there and say actually this is not a problem it's just a, it's just a problem or so it's a problem in need of a solution um but I feel like we're just kind of we're never going to catch this train <laughs> and you know there's so yeah. many second order effects to these things that um you know one great idea at the beginning turns into uh, the whole train derailment down the line.
2: Mm. Uh, you gave the example earlier of the the car, like the fact that if we were to actually see these ideas through to their logical conclusion, we would never drive cars again, right? Because cars kill people, and so the value of being able to drive a car would be completely lost because you would sound like a like a like a Maniac. psychopath if you if you said well, listen, some people are gonna to have to die, but I, I like the convenience of being able to drive to work. Um, you know, one thing that has really taken hold in the last like decade, maybe a shorter amount of time than that, is that um, actually we're constantly drawing upon moral um, arguments and presuppositions that really we haven't ever had to spell out because they're so common sense right so you don't really have to explain to somebody that what I just said right about cars that they yes they there are road deaths but making everyone in the world walk from now on would not be worth um, those road deaths the problem is that you know I think one thing that one of the reasons that the let's just call it the cultural left has been very good at is exploiting those kind of common sense things that we're used to not having to explain and when they really push hard on them you realize that people actually aren't very good at explaining them and are often you know kind of morally like ashamed to explain them because they don't you know they don't sound very good because but they, but they actually do make sense in the sort of common sense world so for example if they were to take up let, let's say like everything goes back to normal um after COVID gets under control and they were to take up driving and they said look at all these people who die every year and also that you can put gas in this disgusting thing and go go to you know, where you want to go just for convenience. So you think that this many people dying is worth your convenience. Like if they really, really, really push that, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm actually using a deliberately crazy example because it's exactly the kind of thing that could happen. Um, If they decided to make this a crusade and shouted down every public figure and forced every public figure to say on the record, uh, that they think it's okay that this many people die every year. Loads of, everyone would just bend to their will. And so wouldn't they, like, it's very easy to see that. And so why is that? Like, why, what has, is it just that they discovered some tactic that nobody knew before? Or is it that we, is it that we have this kind of um, I think, style of,
1: yeah. Yeah, I think the the, the moral high ground is uh, is very thin, for a regime that you know essentially kind of prides itself on being morally neutral on being you know pluralistic and on, on having to be pluralistic to accommodate all the different visions uh, that exist in, in our society um, you know so there is there's, there's uh, essentially it's, it's open season for who wants to take the moral high ground and if if a, if a sufficiently intransigent minority of people um, want to take on that mantle and want to be sufficiently loud and, and can make a case. I mean, with car deaths, you can definitely make a case. And, you know, like, Extinction Rebellion essentially made that case, you know, so <laughs> it didn't work out exactly the way they wanted to, but it was a very similar case. It was like, oh, you know, you want to be traveling around in your car because, you know, people are dying of, of climate related deaths in, in, you know, in the Third World or things like that. So they, they didn't make kind of that moral equivalency. And it, it worked to a certain point, but they probably, they're probably they probably still at the base of the mountain with that one. But it's it's a, it's a great strategy if you have a, a morally neutral regime mm. which is what it has to be um then yeah sure go go crazy anyone can take the crown yeah 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 I mean you just have to be <laughs> you just have to be loud enough and crazy enough and yeah uh, present a convincing narrative um you know bring some anecdotes you know starving this you know dying that uh pictures video
2: works really well Um, Well, you have to be doing, you have to be sort of like Luther, you have to be doing a more extreme version of what already exists, you know, so all you're, all you're really doing is you're pushing the, those in power on the things that they already claim to stand for, you know, so even for example, you know, there's been lots of really interesting things written about the the kind of cultural revolution of recent years, like what is it like? Where did it come from? What are its origins and so on? Its ideological origins and stuff, and 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 the the, the typical and and some would say like it's an institutional thing. It comes from academia and or maybe the NGOs and so on. Um, but I think that really, if there is a coherent ideology there, and like I said before, I don't think ideologies are ultimately that important anymore, but. Uh, if there is you know uh, the, the the ethos or whatever it is that is driving them, it's really kind of just a very uh literalist uh or very <clears throat> um absolutist kind of Americanism, you know like the the ideology that fuels the radical cultural American left has absolutely nothing in common with any uh with with historical socialism, I think. You know, it's not, it doesn't, it it, it has, like, the thing that really drives it, the thing that makes them completely, like, red in the face with, like, emotions and screaming at people and, like, just being completely overwhelmed with emotion and, and having to really, like enforce a moral principle what they're usually doing is they're taking a thing that is already a sacrosanct part of post-war americanism and they're just pushing it that a little step further you know so like so ever so like equality of outcome that right um total gender racial every other type of equality of outcome is one of the things that is central to this whole cultural revolution. That they're trying to engineer. So conservatives then come along and say, oh, well, Martin Luther King said, blah, 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 content of your character. But it's such a silly argument because do they really think that if he had lived and he had seen that you know, this kind of like technical meritocracy didn't produce the outcomes that he wanted, that he would have said, okay, that's fine. As long as, like, as, long as in some really technical definition, this is egalitarian that's fine that's all i wanted like that's not like how people work you know it doesn't make any sense so all that the woke people are doing is taking what the official ideology of post-war america is anyway and they're just basically holding their own elites like feet to the fire they're making them they're making them go the whole way you know um i think
1: it's it's a logical conclusion of it um you know i i keep hearing that it's some some form of aberration of what america's supposed to stand for this this is this is you know this is just take five steps ahead and you know you'll you'll meet the wokesters at the bar that's that's yeah yeah
2: Yeah, (laughs) there's there's not
1: really any other direction to go in, uh, because, you know, like you said, you know, this whole, you know, the contrast between equality of outcome and equality of of opportunity, you know, how many iterations you want to let this play out and get, you know, unequal results, which obviously, if you're if you're a reasonable person, you will understand that, you know, there are there's going to be different reasons for different unequal results you will have unequal results uh, you know for <laughs> this is what happens uh it's happened everywhere in the world historically you know this is it but um if you want to live the the ethos of of american liberalism then this is this is the the normal conclusion you know you will, mm-hmm. you will want to have you know the the equality you want to live equality rather than just you know espouse it so, yeah, that definitely. Cool. Well, um, before I let you go, because I know we're, we're pretty much at the, at the end of our time, um, I want to ask you the question of the show, which is, um, do you have a thinker or, or writer or could be, to be honest, any, anyone living or dead that you think uh, people should know more of or read more of?
2: Um, I wish I I wish I had someone who is obscure enough to warrant uh, me recommending them. I'm sure everyone who listens to this are, already knows I'm going to say Christopher Lash, you know. Um, but he, he's having a bit of a revival lately, which is good. Um, but uh, yeah, I think so. And also, you know, he he's not the the books that are best known. I suppose are Revolt of the Elites and A uh, Culture of Narcissism, which are both great um but you know he wrote a very big book about progress uh which is like one of the biggest to me it's it's one of the biggest questions you can take on really you know and um and he's also written some great stuff about women and feminism and the role of women very nuanced like um uh and uh yeah and i also think it's funny too because sometimes i see like people who like Lash, maybe some of the more conservative people who like Lash, but they they're sort of a little bit queasy about his use of Freud, you know, and um and a lot of psychoanalysis. Um, I actually came across something recently that he wrote in New Left Review about psychoanalysis, and it, it's like in that brilliant way. He starts off with this really interesting point that it's so strange that these kind of Marxists absorbed psychoanalysis when, like, a, a psychoanalysis is Conservative in some fundamental way because it recognizes the limitations of uh, human beings. Um, so he's always really interesting at finding those kind of contradictions and kind of builds the piece on that. But um, and yeah, but I also think that I, the 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 um, the the it's a very slim book, but like Freud's Civilization and Its Discontents is probably the book that has stayed with me and has remained in my thoughts more than anything else which is weird because when i initially read it i I couldn't have known that you know but um having gone through many different having like spent years considering many different ways of explaining things i think that the that tension between the needs of civilization which are by definition hostile to the individual will uh and for the collective will that 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 kind of um push and pull like will always be going on in human societies you know and that even helps you to see kind of what the modern left is in a way right because um they have this total contradiction of values between on the one hand economic collectivism uh which involves You know, every people pooling their resources together, people working together, people uh, giving up kind of the individual desires to um, the collective good. So they might say, for example, there shouldn't be any billionaires, no matter how much that billionaire wants to be a billionaire, they should be forced to give to the collective good. But then they also have this um, social and cultural philosophy, which is that no way, nothing should get in the way of my individual will including the collective good you know and so i guess before even socialism in its early forms uh, like when it first emerged you know before that like i do think that religion was very much the precursor to it in the sense that like it served this social function of as i said like making pro-social behaviors um a moral goods and to be to to be admired and to be strived for, um, and making selfish or antisocial behaviour is the opposite taboo. Um, and but yeah, the the modern left, the, the kind of post war like uh, Western left, has made this has come up with this crazy thing that just can't work, which is the the pursuit. They they want to have the total. Uh, pursuit of individual desires with no imposition from the community or the collective good or anything like that so they have to sweep away all the institutions that used to do that it used to do that through means other than the government and then they try to correct that by sort of like social democracy really like it just like um, a kind of a mothering social democratic economics um, and yeah, I don't think that's, I think it's impossible. It's not, that's why it hasn't worked anywhere. You know, that, that, that combination of things like, I think that you can have a, um, a more socialist economic system with, um, a lot of things that they don't want, you know, that are going to, that are going to, uh, the, 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 there's, there are going to be values of social conformity that are going to have to come along with that as well as things like, sovereign nation states with borders that they are allowed to control they obviously can't accept any of those things so you know the the it, it's built to not work you know really and and in fact christopher lash wrote an art, wrote a an essay many years ago it was like 30 years ago or something called conservatism against itself and he was sort of making this argument which i think now has been accepted among smart people on the right but it was more novel at the time which was sort of the reverse where he was saying you cannot have economic individualism and cultural um collectivism
1: yeah exactly the libertarian economics will nuke any for any substructure that they are yeah. applied to
2: yeah yeah it's,
1: it's, it seems very obvious but this is this is this is my my constant flame war with the libertarians <laughs> yeah i can't
2: believe they're still going
1: <laughs> oh they are they comment almost on every every post i make yeah just this morning
2: yeah do they ever do they ever make good arguments like do they ever say anything that that convinces you or makes you doubt i mean,
1: i, I used to be a libertarian believe me i've I'm, i have mm. consumed the rothbard and I, I know the arguments they work very well in 2d Add add mm. dimension to the picture it, it doesn't really work i mean they're they're mathematically perfect um, mm. But apply the human animal to them, it, it all collapses and add game theory and, you know, like incentives and philosophical concepts like what is the individual, you know, like how, mm. how do people make decisions, you know, of, you know, mimetic theory, mimetic theory mm. nukes libertarianism in one fell swoop, you know, there's many mm. ways to attack this, this beast, this mathematical, you know, construct um, works great on paper, but uh, doesn't doesn't work well in reality and also no one will ever vote for it uh you know pure mm. libertarianism has no constituency for for a good reason because it's mm. bogus <laughs> so yeah sorry libertarians i know some some of my audience is libertarian not for long guys <laughs> keep listening <laughs> <laughs> um and um are you working on anything now is there a book upcoming some projects something you might- I'm
2: working I'm working on a couple of things, but I have to keep them a secret. So, okay. <laughs> when, when,
1: when does this come out? Um, I think this will come out um, <clears throat> a bit earlier on Patreon. So I think that's probably in the next two weeks. It'll be on Patreon, and then maybe in a month, and a little bit on YouTube and um, and on all podcast platforms. So I just do early releases on Patreon
2: okay well probably by the time this comes out i will have a new thing out but i can't say what it is <laughs> it's all
1: good when you have the new thing just let me know i i shall yeah uh, oh yeah it. Be great thank you sure. my pleasure um yeah this this has been really fun i'm I'm really happy we got to do this um yeah you're uh yeah you're definitely one of the the top people i wanted to chat to on this podcast you know mission oh, accomplished. thanks so much
2: yeah that's great and and i'm really enjoying your um your sub stack Oh, well, thank you thank you H. i
1: need to put more stuff on it i've been so com- preoccupied with those, with the podcast but yeah i shall i'll do i'll do better um yeah and uh, i mean where can people find you can people find you should people find you i don't know I no
2: think. no they know. shouldn't
1: <laughs> people should not find angela don't search for her leave her alone guys she's yeah, had enough i'm
2: i'm, I'm currently I'm, I'm starting to learn to play the harp which is very nice <laughs> and so anytime i think about social media i just go and play the harp instead
1: yeah, that's just probably the the wisest thing you'll ever hear on this podcast. <laughs> um and uh what was it? Yeah, kill all normies. Please buy the book. Uh it's it's really it's really good. It, you know, it gives you an an amazing overview on, you know, what this internet thing was about. Maybe I guess up to maybe about four years ago. It's yeah, quite comprehensive. Yeah. yeah. New stuff, you know, maybe maybe in the new project. We'll see.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, American Affairs and Unheard are probably the places you're most likely to find my stuff going forward.
1: Cool, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Angela.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: If you like what you're hearing, wanna see where I take it, and maybe want early access episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you.